Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello, we're back. It's Friday again. We're alive and well. It's me. It's Grant. You know, same guy. I'm here all the Fridays. Yeah. There's Jake over here right now talking. And there's Mitch taking the mic. Taking the mic. The enthusiasm is rampant. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's because we're in in like the middle of quarantine and it's just... uh, I want the sun to come out, you know? The sun was out, dude. We were sitting out in the garage for a while. Yeah, but I want it like that a lot, you the know? The sun will come out tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow. I mean, um, yeah, the weather's supposed to get nice, right? I, no, it's supposed to be cold around here for well, at least Whatever. a week. That's what I Whatever, saw. Whatever, dude. Just stay in and listen to podcasts. And the new album! My band just dropped. Anyway, uh, no object makeshift. Little it's plug true. there Do at it. the head here, but uh, yeah, Starting we just released. Strong. I like it. Yeah, we just released the album. We've been sitting on it for like a year, so go listen to it. It's by No Object. That's the band I'm in. Jonestown. Uh, yeah, so we need. We need. Well, we we gotta we gotta we gotta we gotta segue. What into else this are we naturally, doing? You know? No, no. Immediate, abrupt. Immediately. Um. Yeah. So pretty much, I guess. We'll give you. We'll just go through a quick recap of what happened. Uh, so you know, at this part of the story, uh, he has been around the block. He was in Indiana for a while, then he was out there in San Francisco in the California area, and then finally he got fed up with all the the witch hunt, I guess you'd call it, going after him. So uh, he decided that they were going to move to uh, Guyana, and that's where they would claim Jonestown. So how about that? That's just that was like a two sentence wrap up of what we've done the past two weeks, you know. But so they're out there. Uh, it got its official name on uh, November eighteenth uh, at nineteen seventy eight. That was its official christening. Was that the day, really, that it got its official name? Well, it was that in the eyes of the well, world, or like pretty much, yeah. Jones? All right, for yeah, that was the eyes of the world. That yeah, was the we'll end. Get, date. We'll get into that specific date. Uh, bit later oh yeah why it kind of spread very quickly to the rest of the world yeah that was a that was a hot a hot button start it was just like oh we've never heard of these guys oh that's why we've never heard of these guys down here no yeah dude guyana right yeah 
They went there because uh, things were kind of falling apart for Jim Jones. Uh, he decided to move all the followers to Guyana, right? Uh, like we were discussing. Uh, yeah. So he told them. One of the main things that he told them to kind of like get them to believe him and follow him willingly was he was he claimed that the U.S. government was planning on putting like black people in concentration camp type things. That was one of the big things that he uh, scared them with. What oh, do you really? Think about that? Yeah. What do you? Think no, honestly, about? that. It, I mean, no. Realistically, if someone were to say that now, I'd be like, I really want to know where you're getting this uh, information from. But I guess back in the, I mean, it was like the '70s, so it's like the panic of. Uh, like the World War Two panic, and it's like, I don't know, people are kind of crazy. So I could see how that would scare them into going, you know? Do you guys know the percentage of the African Americans in his congregation? I do. I have your breakdown right here. Would you like it? Take it. Black people made up approximately 70% of Jonestown. So, yeah, uh, and, um, and all the other members were, like, super into, you know, uh, human rights and decency, so they were also afraid of that happening for their fellow congregation members, right? Yeah. Uh, black females, there were 460 of them, leaving uh, 45% of the population right there. Black men, 231 of them, which is 23%. So more than half of Jonestown was black people. There you go. Yeah. There's yep. your numbers for you, Mitch. Pulling that out, thinking I wasn't going to have it. Bam! There it is, Son right in your face. Always showing up here, asking questions we don't have planned. Right in your face. Right in your face. Sorry. No, you're not. But anyway, uh, so yeah, this was around like 1973 or so, and like, uh, and Jim would uh, refer to Guyana, more specifically the plot of land that he had purchased uh, to, you know, make Jonestown. He would refer to it as the Promised Land, right? And the promised land, like, just that specific phrasing or word or whatever, you know, like, it goes back, like, to, it, it's been in, like, uh, black churches for a long time. It goes back all the way to, like, the slave days. Like, this is not, like, a a life that matters. Eventually, we'll become, like, uh, jubilation in the in the promised land, you know? It's like, that, that specific word has a lot of history back with, he was, he was picking his words carefully, right? Well, the smart guy, he's using, you know, the word of God to lure people in. Why not throw in a couple of religious things there? Make it a buffet, you know? Yeah, man, yeah. Make it a theology buffet. Theol- the- all you can eat. I don't know. I couldn't come up with a pun. But all you can eat. Socialism. Basically, Jonestown, or the Promised Land before it, you know, became Jonestown, uh, it was presented to Guyana as a socialist commune, right? And they they welcomed Jones and his followers with open arms. And it really should not have been as easy as it was for Jones to actually do this, like, successfully. But a lot of it has to do with, like, Kairos, you know? Like, the, it was the exact right time, the right situation for it to just work out. It was very weird. Uh, at the time... Right. Uh, Guyana had, uh, they had just recently gained their independence from uh, Great Britain, right? So good for them. But uh, this meant that they were no longer, like, a part of the British Empire, and thus uh, they had no, like, military protection. And Venezuela, which is just north of them, they had been in, like, so at this time they were in the middle of, like, this years-long dispute over, like, borders, right? Uh Mm-hmm. So... Um, 
within uh, with their newfound independence, uh, and you know uh, Guyana with their newfound independence, they uh, they only had an army made up of roughly a thousand teenagers who only joined the military to possibly get food and shelter out of it. Mm. So they were basically defenseless. But uh, yeah, they were practically defenseless against the Venezuela, when Venezuelans taking Waylans. Oh my God. That's how people mispronounce my name is Waylon. Waylon. It's Wallen for everyone. Like Smithers. I'm saying it now because this has been a common problem for my family ever since we became the Wallens. <sighs> An Ellis Island or something. Anyway, um, so yeah, the Venezuelans. Uh, there was nothing to stop them really from like taking as much of the border as they can, and just like going in and maybe, maybe uh, uh, Guyana doesn't exist anymore, right? So this is a big problem. With their newfound independence. Um, so Jim Jones and his followers uh, moving in. You know, they're U.S. citizens. Uh, they're right by the border. Uh, that was seen as kind of like a heaven-sent sort of thing going on for Guyana. Uh, <clears throat> no way was uh, Venezuela going to fuck around with Guyana with a bunch of U.S. citizens hanging around. I mean, like, it, they're on the front lines of where they would attack... I mean, the U.S. at this time was, like, organizing coups and shit in South America. Venezuela, like, Venezuela was not, like, going to be batting that hornet's nest, you know? Yeah, no one wanted a piece of this. No one wanted to jump in on stir the pot with this. Yes. Yeah. Why would you, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, basically, Jones and his, like, uh, roughly 1,000 U.S. citizens moving in to make a socialist uh, colony and commune, it was it was super welcome. Also, apparently the uh, the borders, like the outskirts of it, like the uh, uh, what's it called, the bay, like areas, like by the ocean of Guyana, they were being like eaten away by the ocean. So Terrifying. people were, yeah, isn't that crazy? But uh, so apparently, like people were, like the Guyana government was saying, like, all right, we're gonna have to go like into the jungle and like start clearing it away to make some, you know, establish some shit there. These people, Jim Jones, the People's Temple, they were showing up. They were like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to go right by your border. We're going to save your asses from Venezuela. We're going to clear out a bunch of area. We're going to make this town. We're going to establish it. It's going to be like a good start for you guys. And we're going to pay you to do it. You know, they, they were paying the government to go. I'd take that deal. So when Jim Jones went down to, like, meet with them and, like, the Guyanese, like, uh, government... He was almost like immediately just like, yeah, yeah, when can you start? Come on. So that was good. So isn't that crazy, the uh, the amount of luck he got there? I would have to agree with you. That's just the right place at the right time. Like, if you tried to do that now, they'd be like, uh, no. But right then, they were just like, man, we really need someone with a lot of money, and they'll work for free. And he's like, I have a lot of money, and I'm going to work for free. They're like, fucking move here right now. Pretty much, You're the dude. president. I'll make you whatever you want. Just come here. <laughs> exactly. And it wasn't long a- after that uh, Mr. Muggs, right? Do, do we, did we talk about Mr. Muggs? He's the uh, the monkey sidekick of Jim Jones? No. He's the wild monkey sidekick. He's a, he's a good character. In Probably this back whole from the monkey story. salesman days. Probably, yeah. His name was Mr. Muggs. So uh, apparently Mr. Muggs uh, accompanied a group of about 12 or so uh, People's Temple members to go down to Guyana and begin clearing away the jungle and uh, constructing what would become Jonestown, right? Sounds about right. 
it was good. But Mr. Muggs was kept in his uh, his cage the whole time because you know he's he's a wild monkey and uh, he might just have too much fun in the jungle. I don't it's know. It's like uh, we brought you back to your natural habitat, but uh, you're gonna stay. You're gonna in live cage. in my house still. <laughs> but your house is right by my house. Like, no, we want you to live here. Yeah, you pretty have much, to. dude. Mr. Muggs, you don't want that guy getting out. He's 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 he the, only, he's the only character giving us hope in this terrible story. You'd have to silence him with bullets. You might have to silence Mr. Muggs, yeah. It's the only effective way, which we'll see later, that alludes to something later. What do you have to say, Mitch? Throw him a banana. Yeah, maybe throw him a banana. Apparently they love bananas. I do hear that. I played this documentary, uh, interactive documentary, called Donkey Kong, and this particular monkey absolutely loved bananas. It was the entire point of the documentary. How did he feel about uh, uh, barrels? I don't think he really hates barrels. I think there's just like this Italian man that like hates this monkey, and uh, he just he doesn't like that guy, so he kind of gets antsy, you know. Is Jim Jones and Mr. Muggs is that just Mario and and Donkey Kong? Um, no. All right, <laughs> it was a shot in the dark. I don't know. I was just seeing what sticks. Absolutely uh, not. I don't know. No, it could be. You're canceled. Canceled. I guess so God damn it. All right, well, so yeah, about 12 people, uh, and Mr. Muggs went down to start uh, constructing that shit, right? So this construction was uh, set to take about 10 years and house about 500 to 600 people, right? Uh, though in half that time, about double the amount of people came in to inhabit it. Because, you know, it was just an expedited thing for some reason. Because well, shit yeah. was falling apart for Jim Jones, he needed to get down there, right? Yeah, pretty much so, like... There initially there were five hundred people that went to Jonestown and were like helping him build, and then uh, the land finally cleared in seventy six. So uh, it, he applied in nineteen seventy four, and they finally like let him lease the land. So he got three thousand acres uh, for Jonestown. Yeah, dude, and clearing all that out was like no small feat. Like it was like snake and. Uh, like huge insect infested it was very like thin soil so nothing could grow aside from what was already growing there and like the trees were made like their wood was so thick that like chainsaws were rendered pretty much just useless against them oh yeah like apparently like apparently they had uh, a bunch of like native people from guyana kind of watching them and helping them out sometimes and uh they told them the old like trick that they always used like that their people had been using for years and it was basically just to rock these enormous trees back and forth until they could just be plucked from the ground yeah it was just like a terribly arduous like scenario i don't know this is how slick jim jones was though like you gotta it's just ridiculous to me it's like so he convinced the guyanese government uh to import items uh for free because <laughs> he was like, yeah, like, I need these. And then he would pay off, like, the shipment managers and stuff, and uh, he would just get them through uh, customs. And that was, like, drugs, guns. That was a bunch of shit he would just, like, smuggle in. And uh, that th- then he gets really ballsy. Okay, this is what he does. So they have the 500-ish people there, and he's like, you know, we're thinking of doing... Essentially, we're going to just bring in, like way more like another 500 and the Guyanese government's like well no like yeah how can you do that and he 
he sat him down and he was like, all right, so the, uh, everyone involved is skilled and they're very progressive workers. And they're like, oh, okay. Then he flashes him an envelope uh, that he said was $500,000. And he was he said... That's not an envelope. That is a package. Yeah. That is way too much money for an envelope. And uh, he told them, he was like, you know, if you let us do this, uh, we're going to invest all this money back into Guyana. So they were kind of like... Sweet deal. Pretty sweet deal for Guyana. Yeah, so they, they let him do it. Um, but then the problem happened because uh, I'll, I'll get to the migration here in a second. But essentially when they brought more people in, uh, the immigrants in Guyana were larger. Like the population was larger than locals or natives. No, yeah. Like he a lot of reason why they like that was piled on top of like uh, why he got accepted so quickly by the Guyanese government. Was because his like his political pull and like control in San Francisco, the population of San Francisco far surpassed like the entire population of Guyana as a country. Oh yeah, definitely. So like he was like a huge politician to them, you know. Oh yeah, and then this is uh, this is kind of how he started greasing these palms because uh, I mean everyone saw this as like they were a communist community, you know. Everyone was into it. And, Everyone uh, wants to say socialist things are communist. I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's what they described it as. And then um, I mean, I understand it, but you know, you know what I mean. So then the People's Temple, uh, they set up meetings uh, with Burnham, who uh, he was a politician of Guyana, and uh, they met with other officials, right? Um, Michael Prokes, who was a member of the People's Temple, mm-hmm. uh, he wrote a letter to uh, Mr. Burnham, and uh, he told them, why don't you let Jim Jones uh, be a foreign dignitary for your country? And they were kind of like, what? And uh, they let him do it. They let him do it. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Okay. Um, so he was with uh, a lot of other high-ranking uh, officials from the United States, and he would discuss, you know, treaties, deals, uh, trade with these fucking people. And the guy in these government was just like, yeah, sure, let him, let him do it, you know? It's like, why not, man? We no independ- I mean, we got our independence, right? Now what the fuck do we do? You know, it seems like their independence uh, just caused way more problems than they were prepared for. So they're like, all right, Jim Jones, mm-hmm. come on. Come on, help us. $500,000 in an envelope? How's that even possible? Yeah. So then uh, now, the, this is speculation. I want to point that out here. It's believed now that this was put in place by Jim Jones. But um, he would send women from People's Temple to get involved with uh, Guyanese officials to kind of, like, you know, have some ties there emotionally. a little bit, you know. And um, so Paula Adams, uh, who was a member of the People's Temple, uh, got, you know, kind of hot and heavy with Lawrence Mann. With uh, a name like that, why not, man? Yeah. So they're kind of, like, getting in there, right? And then uh, Viola Burnham, uh, she's the wife of the Prime Minister, you know, Prime Minister Burnham. Yeah. Uh, she was also an ally now of the People's Temple because she saw that they cared about Guyana, um, which is kind of nuts. They, they, they I don't know. that she thought that. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. It's just weird. And then uh, now we fast forward a little bit. All this is happening. Uh, by the summer of 1977, uh, 
Jim Jones himself and hundreds of other Temple members uh, officially moved out of San Francisco into Guyana. Yeah. So now their number uh, is slightly under 900 at this point in time. Slightly under. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, once the People's Temple moved into the facility that he was preparing this whole time in Guyana, things were becoming uh, very, very frightening for everyone. Uh, yeah, Jim Jones was using methamphetamines quite a bit. Hell yeah, hell yeah. He, you know, he was, like, running all these people. He was, like, keeping up with a bunch of bullshit that he was, like, trying to, like, uphold. He needed to be on top of his game, and I guess the way he thought he could do that was the methamphetamines. And methamphetamine. The, yeah, and his signature glasses, which, you know what, man? We've gone this entire time so far without mentioning the fact that the Jim Jones glasses are on the alien of our our, our, uh, our emblem. Right yeah, there. yeah, they are. Yeah, on the alien boy with the horns, with the, the dope thrown horns. Anyway, so yeah, uh, at first those glasses weren't uh, necessarily for any particular reason. It was just kind of like a style thing. Uh, towards the end, he was he would wear them constantly just to hide his eyes because he was just constantly high in meth. So that's crazy. Uh, you know, uh, he would regularly stay awake and, you know, alert. But uh, he would talk for hours over a speaker system that ran through the compound connecting, like, connected to a microphone in his personal quarters. He would c- talk for hours, just constantly, and it would just be blaring. And apparently a rule in Jonestown was that nobody was permitted to speak while he was speaking. Yeah, it sounds So basically right. no one could talk all day. He has the talking gourd. The talking gourd. <sighs> yeah, he would talk a lot. He, it, uh, all day, basically. Uh, they would be listening to him. Uh, Jim even, he recorded himself during a couple of these things just so he wouldn't have to talk like every day. He'd maybe sleep for a couple days after being up for like a week or something. <laughs> they just hear the same meth. speech like four times. Yeah, basically. Like, eh, yeah. It's one of those days for, uh, for old Jim. Not feeling well. <laughs> yeah, basically he just recorded himself for hours and he would just play it over the loudspeaker. And, uh, but yeah, man, it, it, that was just if he ever got sick of it. A lot of times he would just talk. But, uh, then at the end of the day... The end of each day, every person uh, that they would gather uh, in the uh, you know the main area to watch him speak, they he had like these sermons every night that would last hours on end as well. So he was just constantly in the forefront of their minds by like just being present. Like he, they basically they would just hear him all the time, every word that he was saying, and they weren't permitted to talk to each other. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I don't know. It's like he has this like prophet mentality. And that's very, uh, almost like godlike. Really like did, I'm everywhere. Yeah. You always hear me. I'm yeah. here all the time. That prophet mentality that he was hinting at at the radio station that got shut down for that very reason is coming to fruition here in Guyana. Yeah, but it's uh, real now. It's real. This ain't no joke. Yeah, man. And dude, shit's just terrible in Jonestown. The soil uh, was unfarmable. It was too thin. Right, members of Jonestown's uh, member members of uh, Jones's inner circle. Uh, would venture out to nearby markets and beg for their uh, rotting produce because they literally couldn't grow any food. Like, people were starving in Jonestown. Just give us these bruised oranges, man. I don't even give a shit. (laughs) I'll eat the rinds, dude. I don't care. Yeah, you got to eat probably some sort of uh, nutrients in there, right? There's got to be something. But, uh, yeah, and, like, if anybody uh, ever complained about anything or, like, the, the terrible conditions... Because he had him working, like, right from the beginning. Like, 
like immediately as they got there, they were just working constantly, like day in, day out, mm-hmm. hearing his voice, not speaking. It was terrible living conditions. But if anyone complained about anything, uh, the other followers were told to expose them, and they would be punished with everything from public shaming, beatings, or even isolation. Like he, like uh, Jim Jones, set up this specific like chamber specifically for the purposes of punishing people uh just no, nobody could trust anybody basically he would put them in like isolation yeah and i mean you got to think like even these this is just the typical schedule of living in jonestown right now yeah you just get up at the crack of dawn it's yeah you put work some water in some terribly nutritiously starving like soil you work six days a week, uh, 6.30 a.m. is your start time, and you get off at 6 p.m., right? But you get an hour for lunch, so that's cool, right? Um, and then eventually they realized this wasn't that cool, so then they, they bumped it down to, you know, regular 9 to 5, uh, five days a week. Reasonable. But then when they did that, um, after work was over, you would all congregate in the pavilion, and you would take classes uh, on socialism as there a group. You go. And uh, this was Jim Jones himself compared this uh, to how North Korea was operated, uh, where it's eight hours of work every day, and then immediately following your eight hours of work, you do eight hours of studying, and that's just what you do. You just boom, boom, sleep, boom, boom, sleep. Sixteen. That leaves exactly eight for sleep. It's it's great. Yeah. So this he claims was taken uh, from North Korea and also uh, part of like Mao Zedong's reign in China, and then uh. During this time, they would kind of use, uh, like, in, in a way, it's mind control and, like, behavior modification. That's what it is. He would, you know, read them news, kind of scare them a little bit, read, like, other countries' news and be like, see how terrible America is? And then everyone's like, oh, no. Dude, it's like the nega version of uh, Limbaugh or something. Yeah, no, it is. Because it's like, these people, they have no contact with back home so they don't know what's going on in america yeah and that was a huge thing that later came out like defectors and like people who actually got out uh they they like uh spread the word and people were just like yeah i haven't been able to talk to my family for a fucking a long ass time like they should be able to contact people on the outside world but they couldn't yeah definitely so it's at this point your world is shut down to just whatever he tells you and he's feeding them all of this kind of like fear inducing news you know that's he, his ploy. Yeah, and even people who would, like, send letters, like, they they never made it out of Guyana. Like, Jim would just kind of collect them and throw them, throw them in the corner. I don't know. Yeah, I know uh, there's a lot that he would, he would read everything before it was sent. And if there was anything, he would redact it. And if it was anything big enough, he would just never send it. Yeah. So, none of the word got out, you know. So that was just your typical day. That's like, it, I mean, it, it, you say it's a paradise, right? But it's like you got to no, work yeah. to get the paradise. So all you're doing is working and learning and sleeping. I guess that's true, man. And like, I mean, even before, like, uh, before they all moved to Guyana, um, he would like go down there and like scope it out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there was actually one time when he uh, he was on his way back from Guyana, and he was gonna go like meet with his congregation and like talk to them all. He stopped at a goddamn, like, grocery store and mm-hmm. just picked up a bunch of fruit. And he was like, look at all the riches of Guyana. And he's like, I brought these back from that country. He's like, no, you just went to the corner store and bought them like, for, like, 18 cents. Dude, the sticker's still on them, bro. He's like, it's, oh, fuck you. Oh, they have Chiquita bananas down there, eh? 
No, yeah, dude. He was a uh, he was a master of what he was doing. But uh, I don't know, man. Do you want to get right into the uh, the congressman? What's going on here? Uh, yeah. Here, I got a couple things. We'll uh, go right ahead. We'll do here. Lead it natural. So, um, Jim Jones, uh, he would let people have access to the outside world in the form of a shortwave radio. Okay, so they would be able to talk to you know certain people. That's it. Whoever he deemed mostly acceptable. truckers, I, I would assume. Uh huh. Uh, so they really didn't, like Jake was saying, they didn't have any food. Uh, so this led uh, to severe uh, diarrhea and high fevers uh, to almost more than half of the community by uh, February of 78. Both of which are usually solved by clean drinking water, but uh, they weren't. So you right. can only assume their quality of drinking water. Yeah, so now there's no prisons and there's no capital punishment at Jonestown, okay? you know, So... You could do whatever you want, right? No, you can't because uh, they punish you in their own way. So they ha- they'll put you in a box that's uh, six foot by four foot. Yeah, the isolation chamber I was talking about. Yeah, yeah and you would uh, just live in there. If a child misbehaved, they would slowly lower them uh, to the bottom of the well and let them sleep there throughout the night. Oh um, <laughs> on occasion, it's like a fear of mine. They've been noted to do this with a couple children, uh, especially ones, uh, bad ones. They were held upside down in the well by a rope uh, all night. Jesus Christ, uh-huh. man, that's some David Blaine sort of shit. Um, and then if you tried to escape or you know leave Jonestown, you would be uh, admitted to the extended care unit at Jonestown, right? Uh, and this was guarded by armed guards 24-7, this uh, extended care unit. And uh, if you tried to escape and you got caught, you'd be given uh, a lot of different drugs here. You'd be given Thorazine, sodium pentothal, or pentothal uh, chloral hydrate, Demerol, and Valium. You would just be drugged up and loaded up. Yeah, dude, and they had uh, access to all these things because, uh, guess what, their head doctor used to be a meth head, and he was actually selling Jim Jones the meth. Mm-hmm. And he was made the head doctor, and uh, he actually made a little concoction that comes into play a little later. Yeah, so what we're working with here is all this, right? Um, everyone's kind of like, all right, this sucks. You know, everyone's kind of getting pissed off, but there's nothing you can really do about it at yeah, this point. Yeah, you can't talk to anyone or else they'll out you and you'll be publicly beaten or hung upside down in a well. Um, One of the last straws that kind of sent a lot of people, uh, this is when Jim Jones tightens his grip on people because uh, he would not let uh, parents uh, be parents to their own children. So if you had a child, they would live, you know, in the commune. And the only father or dad was Jim Jones, and then, yeah. you know, on occasion he'd let, you know, the kids sit next to you, you know, at a meeting or something. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it in uh, the part two of this series that they just started calling him dad, but it, it was really around here that every, that was just what they called him. Like, everybody called him that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so, in 1978, the U.S. Embassy, is. this is kind of when their interest is peaked. Um, there were members uh, that were getting Social Security checks in the mail, and they called them to interview them. There were 75 people that they called nice. uh, just to talk to them and kind of see if they were you know, being held there or, like, you know, do you still have access to your money? Are you giving this guy all your money? And uh, not a single one of them said yes. They were all like, no, we're, 
we're just living life down here. There's nothing yeah. wrong. And uh, so now this is when Jim Jones is getting – he's getting paranoid. You know, he's he's spiraling out of control here. Not to mention all the meth that's probably well, yeah. making that a bit worse. Just just a bit, you know. Um, meth so heads aren't, aren't uh, the most uh, sound people. He would call uh, these white night rehearsals, right? And this would – he would sound alarms throughout uh, Jonestown, and everyone knew that that meant you had to congregate in the pavilion. And you'd come down there, and he would just start talking. That was his time to do it. Um, so he called one meeting, one white night, and uh, he was isn't extremely... What, just, just to cut in here, isn't white night, isn't that what strippers call like dudes who try to save them from their careers or whatever? Is it? I think it is. It's like, yeah, you tried to white knight me. It's like, I'll take you away from all this. I'll give you anything. Just come home with me or something. Isn't well, that a thing? I don't I feel like it is. I don't know. Anyway, don't know. proceed. I'm sorry. I just wanted to get that out there. Um, so Email us. During, with an answer. Yeah, give us an answer to that. So during a couple of these meetings, it started getting weird. And he said, he would, you know, address the people. And he'd say, all right, here's the deal. We have four options. Um, we can run to uh, the Soviet Union where we'll be safe and we'll be offered, you know, housing and we'll be okay. Yeah, that was another thing. He kind of flip-flopped on the whole Red Scare thing. He was oh, really yeah. afraid of it, and then he was calling it a paradise toward the end there. Um, the other option was we could commit revolutionary suicide. Uh, the third option was we could stay in Jonestown and be prepared to fight these people when they show up here. Or... We go to the jungle. We flee. And uh, everyone's kind of freaking out here, right? Yeah, all those options aren't the the best. No. So what he does here, it's a weird couple-day thing that happens. He's particularly over the edge. Um, He's standing outside of the pavilion in Jonestown in the open. And he is telling them that, you know, people are coming to kill them right now. We have to go. So everyone's like, are you fucking kidding me? And that is when uh, bullets start whizzing past Mr. Jim Jones. Hitting, uh, you know, right by his feet, right over his head, these things. People are, they're scattered. They're running. They're oh, like, yeah. we're getting out of here. Jim Jones is like, let's roll. They are wigging out. What people don't see is that uh, Jim Jones had one of his right hand, right hand man... Uh, go out into the woods, hide behind a tree, and take shots around Jim Jones to scare the individuals. See, his fake uh, assassination attempts are getting a bit more uh, oh, uh, yeah. uh, complicated, a bit more good. So I don't know. Jim Jones uh, actually leads the people of Jonestown into the jungle, and they flee. And this lasts for hours. Into the hours. jungle where all the gunshots were coming from. <laughs> this lasts for hours. I mean, like, they're running, running, running. After uh, so long, Jim Jones is like, all right, it's safe. We can go back now. And now they're going back. So it, it's a whole day thing. Like, it's like a 26-hour period that this takes place in. No, I guarantee the next day he's like, all right, we are behind on our production. You guys have got to work. Yeah. Double shifts. It, he's probably a dick boss, right? Probably. I would imagine. Um, but so they're freaking out, right? So they go back. Somehow everybody's just calm now. It's okay. A couple of days later, he calls another white knight uh, in the middle of the night. And uh, he said, you know what we're going to do this time? We're going to do revolutionary suicide. And they're like, well, what the hell is that? And they bring out uh, all of these cups of liquid. 
and they line him up, and he tells him, this is filled with poison. You will drink it, and within 45 minutes, you'll be dead. No, he had them all drink. He walked, he, like, gave them the drinks. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was like, oh, we have, like, a, like more wine was produced in this place, like, not far from here. Uh, let's, like, all just have, like, you know, a little uh, a little, little uh, cerveza. That's not the right term, but, you know, the, the sentiment. But anyway... He like it was like a couple of extra bottles of wine split among like all these people, so they all just had a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he like walked around as he as they were all doing because like he didn't normally permit the drinking of alcohol, but uh, he was like, yeah, let's just celebrate uh, for no reason. But yeah, he walked around and once he was like convinced that everyone had drank it. That's when he was just like, all right, I have something to tell you guys. Mm-hmm. Forty five minutes, y'all are gonna die. That was poison. Yeah, so they're all panicked, and then by the time it's over, it's like, well, that was just a test. You're all ready. Yeah. And they're like, what the fuck? Um, no, yeah, it, it was weird, though, because a lot of people just accepted it, and then a lot of people kind of claimed that they knew it was, like, just a test, mm-hmm. because that wasn't the first time that he had done that. Yeah, no, he, he, he was done doing that, this like, a lot. Yeah, he did that, like, two or three times, like, in the years leading up to this. He would just, like, intermittently give people drinks and say, like, that was poisoned, and he would just see how they reacted for a few minutes. Like, he was... It's really scary how long it it seems he was planning on this being like an option. Yeah, you know he was like he was literally training these people for years off and on with this exact same scenario. No, he definitely was. Um, and it was weird because there were some people in the temple that knew, as they you know were workers doing this. Yeah. Um, since uh, the middle of 1976, uh, the people's temple had been receiving uh, monthly packages that were half-pound bricks of cyanide, and they've just been stockpiling them. So they're like, well, that's weird. Um, And the way they got this uh, was Jim Jones obtained a jeweler's license, so he was able to buy the chemical uh, saying that it was for the purpose of cleaning gold. Really? Uh, And in May of 1978, uh, this is when kind of murmurs were going around, uh, fear more. Yeah, we're in the we're in the year of the the event. Yeah, um, uh, a doctor uh, in the People's Temple wrote a memo that was leaked to certain individuals, and um, he was asking Jim Jones uh, for permission to test cyanide on the pigs in Jonestown, and that wasn't that weird, right? They were like, "Okay, we have it. We'll use it." Just your but classic Mengele shit. In the in the same memo, it mentions that. The pig metabolism is similar to that of a human being, so he wants to see how it'll uh, metastasize in the body of a human. Yeah, it's not it's not too hidden, is it? No. So this is nuts. It is nuts. Leading up to this, uh, this is the what I was talking about. You know, the the fleeing into the woods. Yeah. This is uh, referred to as the six day siege because that's how long it lasted. People. What? Yeah, people were Wait, so scattered throughout the jungle for six days. Oh, my God. Because they they all ran, but it was such a large group, they didn't all follow each other. No, yeah, that, that makes so, sense. Uh, it, they ran for about a full day before Jim Jones was like, yeah, it's time for us to go back. So by the time everyone made it back, it was six days, going on seven. Jesus Christ, man. Um, So all this was going on, right? This is when he starts stockpiling more guns and machetes, and he's training more people. And he's saying, "You know what? We're gonna we're gonna have to do something about this." Um, 
<laughs> They're like, about what? We're just doing shit, man. Yeah. Um, so after this, everyone's panicking. Jim Jones turns to another enemy, and he says that uh, the Guyanese government uh, could not be trusted, that they were the ones that were the problem. Isn't it just crazy how every government that they go to just can't be trusted eventually? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it's probably true to some degree. but um, So what he did is he had Temple members write uh, a bunch of different letters to foreign governments uh, inquiring about the mass immigration policy they have. And they wrote to uh, North Korea, Albania, China, Russia, well, the USSR at that time. Yeah. Um. And they're all just kind of trying to get out. They're like, we gotta, we gotta do this. Um, and then October second of seventy-eight, Fyodor Timofeyev, uh, he's a Soviet citizen. He <laughs> I couldn't tell by the name. <laughs> yeah, uh, he visited Jonestown for a couple days and gave a speech because he was coming to check out about the mass immigration. Mm-hmm. And um, Jones stated right before this guy took the stage that uh. Quote, for many years we have let our sympathies be quite publicly known that the United States government was not our mother, but that the Soviet Union is our spiritual motherland. End quote. For years, huh? Yeah. I don't Uh, know about that, Jim. And Timofeyev, uh, he responded by saying that uh, our deepest and most sincere greetings for the people of this first socialist and communist community of the United States of America in Guyana and in the world. This guy was, he was eating it up, right? He was hamming it up. Um, then after this, uh, temple members were meeting weekly with uh, Timofeyev uh, to discuss the potential exodus to the Soviet Union. And then around this time, we're getting into the we're getting into the meat here. Don't worry. Uh, like in the late seventies and early and mid seventy uh, eight, people uh, were starting to panic. Right, the relatives of these individuals uh, in Jonestown. Um, finally, on February seventeenth of seventy eight, Jim Jones agreed to do an interview with the San Francisco Examiner, uh, and the reporter would be Tim Reiterman. Uh, he had written about a custody battle that was causing tension in Jonestown uh, months previous. So Jim Jones is like, yeah, sure, we could do it. He's familiar with the territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much he just showed everyone, like, every everything you hear about us is a lie. You know, Jimmy Carter loves us. Everybody's cool. We're having a good time. Leave us alone. I was with his wife the other day. Come on. Uh-huh. And then uh, on April 11th of 78, uh, the concerned relatives, like this was like an organization. Yeah. Uh, they distributed packets of documents, uh, and they included letters and affidavits that were going to be sent to Jonestown about how they were uh, causing human rights violations. Yeah. And uh, they kind of were trying to get something going on here. They were suing for $56 million in damages. God damn. Uh huh. And um, so. During the summer of 78, uh, Jim Jones actually reaches out to uh, lawyers. Well, they're not lawyers, but they're, you know, kind of in that field. They're, and that they're is, seedy men. Yeah. Mark Lane and Donald Freed, who were, they were the guys behind uh, the Kennedy conspiracy theories, you know. The Beautiful. Gracie Nolan and all that. Beautiful. Zapruder film. Um, 
And he was talking to them about making the case of a grand conspiracy against the United States uh, on Jonestown. So he's kind of digging at everything here, right? He is just digging. And he's looking to sue the United States government for causing all these problems. Um, during all this time, he's kind of going crazy. Physically, he's weakening. Yeah, he's going crazy, dude. Can you imagine, like, considering seriously suing the U.S. government? Yeah. That's insane. That's, and he's physically being weakened, you say? Yeah, so he has been in, uh, abusing Valium, Quaaludes, Stimulants, and Barbiturates all at the same time. Um, he announced to his followers that he had lung cancer, which was not true. He did not have lung cancer. It was just a way to be, you know, get sympathy from the crowd. Classic cancer ruse. Um, but there are audio recordings uh, of him actually admitting to other people that he suffered from uh, high blood pressure. He had multiple uh, strokes, like small strokes, I guess you'd call them. None of these things are surprising. Um, he had lost between 20 and 30 pounds in the last 10 days. Hey, Jim, you're looking good. And uh, he said that he was suffering from severe insomnia, that he would go to up three to five days without sleeping at all. That sounds about right, <laughs> considering all the... Uh... And the things he was taking. People started to notice this because uh, he was like tripping over his words and like slurring and making no sense. He was yeah, being a real Joe Biden. There you go. Yeah, that's like what he was doing. Perfect. Yeah, he's like, all right, fat, and then uh, and then the guy gets taken away. Yeah, um, yeah. Unchain the South. It's like you can't say that. You and can't say that. people were especially weirded out because he started doing more uh, reports over the PA system, and they would receive pamphlets of like what would be covered. And he was just like skipping things, like not even reading them. And they were just like, "This is, you know, it's like, like this my is pamphlet weird. guy's fucking up. It's not me. It's never me on Jim Jones." And uh, Riderman, when he comes down to Jonestown uh, in November of '78, he is kind of panicked because he's been covering this story for 18 months, and uh, he was like, "Jim Jones looks like shit." Like he was like. He said that his eyes were like purposely glazed over. I don't know what that means. Purposely, purposely? glazed over. Uh, and Is he was he talking about the sunglasses. Like it was a glaze over the eyes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Who knows? Um, he said that you could tell that this man had severe paranoia just by looking at his face because he wouldn't make eye contact and was very jittery. <laughs> Dude, that's great. just like I looked at this guy and knew he was paranoid. That that has to be pretty severe. And then now we move in to Leo Ryan. Leo Ryan, right? It was uh, 1978 of November, right? It was uh, November 8th of 1978. Um, all the, uh, you know, the the uh, the accusations of abuse that were coming out of Jonestown and all that. This congressman, uh, Leo Ryan from California, he decided to visit Jonestown to do just like a little spot check sort of thing. And, uh, he, uh, yeah, it was him and a handful of... Uh, uh, just like uh, relatives of people in Jonestown who had not been able to get in contact with them, right? And a uh, a small like uh, media crew, right? So Jones knew that the congressman was like planning on coming to visit and investigate the abuse claims, right? What the hell was that? <laughs> Sorry, I had a video from <laughs> I opened a video from Alex and it made a loud noise. Oh God. Alex, that guy hasn't left his house in a month. 
But, uh, all right, so, yeah. Jones, he knew that the congressman was coming. He was planning to visit and investigate the abuse claims uh, weeks beforehand, right? So in that time, before he came to visit, before November 8th, uh, 1978, uh, he and members of his inner circle, who were just like, you know, they were like, they were... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the grunt force, the brute, uh, the, the guys, right? Uh, you know, like the, the the Looney Tunes cartoon where it's like the mob boss and the huge-ass guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were his huge-ass guys. Oh, yeah. So, uh, he and members of his inner circle were uh, training members of the People's Temple for the media, basically rehearsing responses about, like, what they ate, uh, living conditions, etc., like... They're just like, oh, so what are you eating, Jonestown? And this is actually on film uh, when the media actually, well, like the media crew, like was there interviewing people. They're like, oh, what do you eat here? They're like, oh, oh what don't we eat? Uh, lamb, chicken, steak, everything. It's just great here. Living conditions are amazing. We have all that we need. We have everything. We have Jim Jones. Basically, they were just like, all right, say this so it looks good. Everything is fine. So they were just like, uh, they were grooming these people for the media and interviews. Uh, the entire visit that uh, that Leo Ryan had with his like group of people and the media and all that, uh, he was fooled by all this. He was like, wow, this seems like a great place. This is amazing. The entire visit went as planned. Yeah, but uh, he, he had some personal interest in all of this going to Jonestown. Oh, yeah. Because uh, on October 5th, 1976... Uh, Leo Ryan, he was good friends with a guy named Bob Houston, who was a Temple member in California. Yeah, that was actually the the Houston family, like members of the Houston family, were the people that came to visit their relatives yeah. that they haven't been able to get in contact with. Yeah, and um, Bob Houston, he pretty much, uh, it was a weird situation, right? So this conversation uh, between Bob's wife, or ex-wife now, I guess, uh, and an interviewer about the People's Temple came out on October uh, 2nd. Yep. And on October 5th, uh, her dead body was found on a set of railroad tracks. Sometimes you find dead bodies on railroad tracks. So Not suspicious at all. Obviously, they're thinking, like, you know, she said something she wasn't supposed to say, and someone affiliated with Jonestown killed her. Snitches get stitches. And so this was just like even more now driving his interest in getting to the root of the problem here in Jonestown. It does make sense. I mean, like a, a woman you know gets bisected by a train, you're gonna you're gonna probably look into that. Yeah. Right. But yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. So that was a, a big motivation for him actually going. But while he was there, yeah, he was he was completely convinced by all these people and their uh, their rehearsed uh, answers that it was a great place. And uh, basically, everything was going as planned up until right about the end when uh, when Leo Ryan and his group were about to leave. A uh, member of the People's Temple slipped Ryan, and, uh, or more specifically, Ryan's uh, aide, they slipped him a note begging to be saved. Basically, like, you have to get us out of here. Like, you have to tell people about this. Like, mm -hmm. it's not good. And, uh, yeah, so all the people were told, all the people that weren't, like trained to be uh, involved with the media we're told to just stay away from ryan not touch him not talk to him you just go about your day act like we just put a fucking smile on right uh so jim jones uh saw this happen this person kind of slip him this note and uh jones found out about it and he immediately forced the congressman and his crew to leave um 
he was kind of realizing that this may have been the moment that this was all coming to an end. Yeah. We'll later find out that it was. This was the beginning of the end. Um, so, yeah, he was realizing it was the end. Uh, Ryan's group, along with 14 defectors that he took with him, uh, they rushed back to an airstrip that they had came in on, and they were greeted with an empty airstrip. There was no planes there waiting for them, and they were trying to get the fuck out of there because that is a very alarming note to get from something like this in a foreign country. I don't know, man. It is terrifying. But uh, after a bit, the uh, after a bit, you know, they were nervous. They were waiting. Uh, two planes show up, right? And they start to board them. But as the group is boarding the planes, a uh, tractor uh, pulling a trailer full of armed men pulls up and begins firing on the group. And, uh, yeah, they kill one defector, three members of the media, and Leo Ryan himself. The congressman. Yes, they do. Um, and even leading up to the shooting, like moments before the shooting, before they're leaving, uh, Al Simon, who was a member of the People's Temple, uh, he took both of his kids and ran them up to Leo Ryan, and he begged them to help uh, with the paperwork to get them back into the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, Al's wife, uh, Bonnie, came over the loudspeaker uh, around Jonestown and publicly uh, denounced her husband and pretty much said he's a piece of shit and don't trust him. That's what they were told to do, man. Anytime that the, anyone misbehaved, everyone was supposed to denounce them and just publicly punish them. But yeah, so five people died at the Port Kaituma airstrip shootings. Um, Eleven people were injured. So they're trying to like help the injured. The Guyanese people are there. They're arresting members. Uh, Larry Layton. Uh, they arrested him. And uh, all this is going on. So now Jim Jones gets word of what happened. And he is like, oh my god. My house of cards is crumbling. Yeah. Um, Much like it did for Kevin Spacey. Ayo. And it's funny because realistically everything would have been fine if he let them leave. Because uh, Leo Ryan had uh, mentioned to uh, other individuals that he would say Jonestown was on pretty much good terms. Like he said, they interviewed 60 families and um, only 14 of those families wanted to leave. And he was like, looking at it realistically, he was like, that's a relatively small percentage. Statistically speaking, like that's pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. Um, And he kind of laughed to him. He was like, there's no way we could transfer uh, even 200 people if they wanted to leave all at once. So yeah, I he mean, was two like, planes showed up to transport around like roughly 20 people, so they they weren't big planes. Yeah, and uh, he told this to uh, Jones's right hand man Gary. So Gary's telling Jim Jones, you know, we're doing pretty good, and Jim Jones looks him dead in the eyes and he says, "I failed." And Gary's like, dude, no, you didn't. He's going to give us a really good report. Like, this Jim, is good. come on. And Jim Jones takes off his sunglasses and looks at him, and he says, all is lost. And Gary's <laughs> like, oh, shit. <clears throat> He's a man of theatrics. I love it. Um, so after Leo Ryan leaves, uh, Marceline Jones, sorry. Yes, Marceline. Uh, she made a broadcast uh, across the PA that said, uh, everything's fine, and, you know, just go back to your house, right? Um, 30 minutes later, Jim Jones calls over the PA, and he's like, everybody get to the pavilion right now. And they're like, oh, okay. Another white knight guy. 
Yeah. Um, this is when he recorded the infamous death tape, uh, you know, at Jonestown. Yeah. Uh, it's a 44-minute uh, recording. Uh, and this is what happens uh, in the pavilion on November 18th of 1978. This is what we've all been leading up to. We've been alluding to this the whole time. Let's get into it. Yeah. And uh, Jones told uh, the people that uh, he th- he said that uh, this is a direct quote. One of those people on that plane is going to shoot the pilot. I know that. I didn't plan it, but I know it's going to happen. They're going to shoot that pilot, and down comes the plane into the jungle. And we had better not have any of our children left when it's over, because they'll parachute in here for us. Right? So they're like, oh, okay. Um, so Jim Jones told them that uh, the fascists were coming, and they were going to uh, destroy everything that they had built. At this point, I feel like he's using the word fascist as just anyone opposing him. It's not any one, like, government or anything that's known to as for, like, fascism or anything. He's just, the fascists are coming. Like, that's uh-huh. just a blanketed, like, bad guy. So, during this speech, um, in the background, uh, there are aides of Jim Jones, and there is a large metal tub with grape flavor aid that is currently being poisoned with Valium, Chlorohydrate, Cyanide, and Phenergen. Phenargan? You know what's crazy? Is like you, you said earlier that uh, he was getting about a half a pound of cyanide mm-hmm. uh, per month or something. something. Yeah. Yeah, per month. Uh, the actual concoction only had a single pound of cyanide in it. Yeah, so I don't know what he did with the other stuff. Hey, man, maybe he's just shining his, his bling or something. I don't know. Um, so this is when Jim Jones says that we have to kill ourselves because he says, quote, the ones that they take captured, they're just going to let them grow up and be dummies, end quote. We wouldn't want that. Yeah. So now he's telling them everybody in the name of socialism and in the name of anti-capitalism, we almost kill ourselves. And sounds like art school. Jesus. Christine Miller argued uh, that. We should just try an emergency airlift to the Soviet Union. Uh, Jim McElvin, who was a former therapist, uh, he got there a couple days earlier. Uh, He was helping Jim Jones, uh, essentially by arguing how ridiculous this is. And he's like, let's make today a beautiful day because we'll all be reincarnated anyway. And they're like, what? I I like the sing-songiness of that. Um... After Jim Jones pretty much squashed any hopes of Exodus, uh, Jim Jones told the crowd uh, that Leo Ryan had been murdered and that there was no way of getting back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so now the Red Brigade, the people that killed uh, Leo Ryan, uh, they came back to jo- Jonestown and uh, they said this man, Tim Carter, who was a Vietnam vet, they said he just had the thousand yard stare right now. Like he was just kind of like out of it. Um, he confirms that everyone uh, that they wanted to kill is dead. And this is when they do it. So they start passing it around. That's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah they have people lining up. Um, so they were taking cups to give to the adults and the teenagers. Uh, and then they were taking syringes uh, and ripping the needle off. And filling it uh, with the poison liquid to squirt into the mouth of the infants. Uh, 
And people were sometimes just kind of taking the poison by the syringe themselves. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so there, people are in line, and everyone's uh, kind of reluctant. They're all like, I don't want to drink this Every, shit. Everyone's very reluctant. That was another thing. Like, uh, they're, if, if they didn't do this, there were armed guards that Jones had at his disposal that he ordered to kill anyway. Yeah. Like, you know, like... There's there's no way out, so you may as well do you know it, it's a very tough unimaginable situation that all these people were put into. Yeah, so they're being encouraged to do it. Um, so the thought here is that within five minutes the children would be dead, uh, less time for babies, and between twenty to thirty minutes for the adults. Um, Which can you imagine that being poisoned and then the pain of all of that happening for that long? And, like, wishing it on your mm-hmm. kids. I don't know, man. It's just... It's weird. The details of this part of the story always, like, baffle me. Now, there is uh, Odell Rhodes, who is a member of the temple who actually escaped that day. Um, They're the ones that kind of let us uh, see all this, right? So, what happened was that after you took the poison, you were escorted down a walkway leading outside the pavilion into the yard. And, uh... People right now were kind of just thinking it was another rehearsal, you know? And Odell Rhodes thought it was a rehearsal also until they literally were watching children just, like, drop dead around them. They were, like, Foaming at the mouth and screaming in pain and their Mm -hmm. fucking parents, like, over them having taken the same poison but not dead yet and just grieving. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jim Jones was over the PA uh, repeating... I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear. I don't care how many anguished cries. Death is a million times preferable to ten more days of this life. If ten you more knew, days. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what was ahead of you, you'd be glad you're stepping over tonight. Jesus Christ. Man, there was also this one, uh, th- this woman who decided to try to stop all the children from taking it or being administered it by other people. Like, she was actively attempting to stop them from doing it, like, physically, just, like, smacking it out of their hands and shit. And there's audio on the death tape of him saying, like, mother, 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 don't do this. Don't do this. And, like, just, you hear gunshots in the background, and it's just like, god damn, dude. Yeah, it's wild. Like, there was no stopping this. Um, yeah, so pretty much... At this point. At this point in time... They're dead. We're just going to tell you right now, they're dead. Pretty much everyone, anyone that didn't wasn't administered poison or died from it, uh, they were shot. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is, I mean, they're all dead. Medical examination that happened after showed uh, there were a lot of puncture marks from needles in, uh, like in the back of people's shoulder blades. And they're like kind of like, whoa, that's that's Bit strange. Strange, yeah. Uh huh. They come in to inspect, right? Uh, they look. Jim Jones is sitting in his chair uh, with his head laying on a pillow and a, a gunshot wound to the right side of his head. Oh, so he took the fast way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and according to the reports uh, by the medical examiner Leslie Mutu, uh, she said that it was consistent with self-infliction. Yeah. yeah. So so everyone's uh dead. Yeah, I mean death is death is literally what just happened to over 900 people yeah. all at once, okay? A third of them children. 
605 adults and 304 children for a total of 909 dead bodies. Dead body. <laughs> yes. Um, it's terrible. It's really bad. So they're all dead, right? And there there are people that escaped. But uh, this is something I just wanted to throw in here at the end. Um, this was found uh, near Marceline Jones's body. Uh, it was a note that was signed uh, November 18th, 1978. Um, and it said, quote, I, Marceline Jones, leave all bank assets in my name to the Communist Party of the USSR. The above bank accounts are located in the Bank of Nova Scotia in Nassau, Bahamas. Please be sure that these assets do get to the USSR. I especially request that none of these are allowed to get into the hands of my adopted daughter, Susan Jones Cartmel. For anyone who finds this letter, please honor this request as it is most important to myself and my husband, James W. Jones. Yeah, the first thing we're going to want to do right now after this is... Just uh, give Jim Jones what he wants, huh? And this was, they found this by uh, a lot of dead bodies. Um, We got Carol Layton's body had a similar note uh, that said, you know, leave all my stuff to the Communist Party of the USSR. Yeah, I mean, like, once this started happening, because, like, people just started taking it, and they were in line. They're like, oh, shit, I'm next. And I only have this amount of time to write out, like, a last will and testament. People were just writing their last wishes on, like, sheets of paper while they were dying. Like, it was it was yeah. a worse than forced suicide. And then somehow, just to top this all off, um, the evening of November 18th, uh, back in Georgetown, Sharon Amos, uh, who was a Temple member, had heard the news of what happened and saw that they committed revolutionary suicide. So the police showed up. Revolutionary, huh? The police showed up, right? And Sharon said, would you please excuse me? And she took her children, uh, Leanne, who was 21, Krista, who was 11, and Martin, who was 10, and she took them all into the bathroom, and she killed all of them. How'd she do that? Um, so she killed Krista and Martin, the 11-year-old and the 10-year-old, and then the oldest daughter, who was 21, uh, helped Sharon kill herself, and then the oldest daughter took the knife out of her mother and killed herself. That's kind of gross. That's terrible. Why, uh, God damn it. Right, Fuck. so, that, honestly, that is Jonestown. There's one that, thing I, mean, I want to yeah. talk about here. Um, they... There's a lot of the conspiracy theories behind uh, all of this, right? Yeah. I don't know why I thought it'd be so happy at the end of this. It's such a terrible way to end things. Oh, it's not. <laughs> um, now, you have to take this with a grain of salt, okay? But the Guyanese, uh, like, reaction team, I guess you'd call them. Yeah, they're like kind of first responders uh, or whatever. Initially, uh-huh. when they got there, they saw this as they counted 200 bodies. Then it went up to 400. And then when the United States gets there, they started at 500, went up to 700, and finally ended at 909, which is the confirmed number now. Yeah. And no one really thought about it, but there, I mean, that's a huge discrepancy in numbers. That's 500 dead bodies. And the only real answer they gave was that, well, the Guyanese government doesn't know how to count, which is... that's. It's not a sufficient answer. And then when that answer didn't satisfy, they said, oh, well, 
the way the bodies were all like stacked on top of each other, they really only looked like four hundred. But then the response to that is, well, how do you hide five hundred dead bodies under four hundred dead bodies? That is uh, quite the quite the pickle. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know, man. I feel like a, a, maybe an answer that wasn't mentioned, or like a an explanation that wasn't mentioned, like regarding that, is like maybe the Guyanese government was like doing a count and then. That's when the U.S. government showed up and like did their own and then completed their own. Who knows, man? I don't know, but that is very strange. Now, if you ask the Russians, they say that um, all of these people were assassinated by CIA agents, right? Why would they do that? And their thought is that they wanted uh, the United States wanted to get, essentially give a sign to people like this is what happens when you immigrate from uh, our country with your political beliefs. And 400 isn't enough. They're just like, let's tack on an extra five. And uh, they also said that uh, perhaps uh, they were just suppressing opposition to the United States uh, in general. But there's no real consensus. All we know is that 909 people died within three hours. Like, it was a mass murder. Mass suicide. Mass forced suicide. Yeah. Mass society. Mass society. So something like that. I don't know. Somebody, if you want to give me your final thoughts on all this, how's this sitting with you? It's not Mitch, sitting I'm looking well. At you. I'll tell you that it doesn't sit well with me, Mitch. What do you think? Tell me how you feel about this. I do like the conspiracy angle because I've never heard it before, and uh, I think it, it could be possible. Who knows? It very well could be the conspiracy that. People were, like, hiding bodies and shit, and, like, the Guyanese government had it right or something? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I get that, because it kind of, like, beefs it up, makes it a scarier monster than it already is. Yeah, makes it more interesting. Definitely. I don't know if I buy that theory, but it's not completely irrational. Yeah. yeah. Like, like if they're using Jim Jones, you know? Yeah. You never know. He was a patsy, but he also did the thing anyway, so... He's also a monster. He is a monster. Yeah, I don't think it needed to really be beefed up with any sort of conspiracy. But, I mean, the conspiracy does exist, so of course we're going to talk about it. But I don't think this story really needs to be beefed up when it comes to frightening people uh, quite that much. Because uh, this was terrible. Jim Jones, is a, he was a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, he not still a good is. Guy. He's dead, I'll but he still I'll say not is. a good guy. Not, not the guy I don't not like. Not the best. He was shooting his friends with 22s and shit. But yeah, that and then is. And he killed 909 people. That is Jonestown. That, that was Jonestown. Jim, Jimmy J. The account of Mr. Jimbo. That is, um. <sighs> that's all I got for you guys. I'm not going to lie to you. There's not really. Yeah, not, not, not much uh, past that, really. Just, uh. It was, it was probably one of the most, fa- like, infamous, I'll say, um, accounts of, like, a uh, cult existing oh definitely and it's yeah. so in the ether like people reference it all the time it's it's just up there with like om shinrikyo and the children of god this is the 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 top boy you know and it's not good it's crazy it's insane this guy changed history in a terrible way there is uh the story jim jones jonestown i hope you like wouldn't it. recommend it follow us on all the shiz all of the shit I said email us earlier. It's startacult at gmail dot com. You're right. It is. We are also on uh, Instagram. We're on uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, 
uh, Patreon. Follow that. There will be a link below. Uh, <gasps> yes, there will yeah, be. Yeah, there will be. But anyway, uh, everybody wash their hands, right? Uh, uh, stay away from me. Keep it real. And all you guys. And do some good out there. All right? Oh, God. Yeah, baby. Our principal used to say that in high school every day. Yeah, all right. But anyway, and then he got caught stealing money because... Uh, <laughs> He bought like a shit ton of four-wheelers and ATVs and fucking machetes. (laughs) Go do some good out there, everybody. Uh, Don't touch anyone. Yeah, steal money from your work, I guess. Alrighty. Alright. This is me signing off. I love you. I'm Jake over here, and that was Mitch. He talked for a bit, and then uh, we are starting the cult. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.